Lord Jesus, we want to we want to thank you uh, for for everything. Uh, thank you for coming as a man and being God. Thank you for saving us. Uh, thank you for overcoming, and uh, thank you for giving us faith in you. We want to worship you in every possible way. Amen. Uh, let's see. If you were not here last Wednesday, uh, notes for the study are available uh, for the right price. <laughs> um, seriously, they're available. Uh, next couple of weeks, we will not have any meeting for obvious reasons. And then on the 9th, um, we're planning to launch you into a study on the tabernacle. Um, and so I'd like to encourage you to send questions about the tabernacle either to myself or Rabbi David, uh, not implying that all your questions will be answered, simply because the only one who has all the answers is... Yeah, David. Just to clarify, that says no... 1226 through what? February 2nd. February 2nd? Yeah. No, it's January. January. What did I say? Oh, I'm sorry. Well... All right. Uh, January 2nd. Thank you for that clarification. Um, okay. Uh, by the way, if, um, as I understand, the study on, on the tabernacle um, will include a number of things, not just the passages in Exodus and, and Numbers and and uh, Leviticus, um, but also go into the New Covenant. I don't know if you knew that the book of Revelation talks about the temple a whole bunch of times. Um, and by the way, um, in case you're not aware of it, um, the five books of Moses have about 56 chapters devoting to worship. And you might not be aware of that because you read it and you think blood and gore and so on. Again, remember, this is about God in relationship with the people. All right. Um, so last Wednesday we talked about um, how God presented himself physically to Israel, uh, the theophanies, the appearance of God. And um, if you were here when uh, Dr. Garber came, uh, to me it was, as I've been thinking, praying, and preparing for this, it was very clear to me that his coming, his presentation, uh, was challenging us to delve more deeply into what Scripture has to say about Yeshua's deity. Um, and if you've talked to people on this subject and you have, you ask a hundred people what they think about Yeshua's deity, you will probably get two or three hundred answers. Uh, a great deal of confusion. Uh, and by the way, this is w the area where people have had the most or, or a very strong inclination to go into heresy. Why? Because it is such a mystery that we 
don't know how to digest it. And so what we're inclined to do is be foolish and try to make it into sound bites uh, because it, it is so beyond us. Um, and so we see a couple of different uh, forms of it when folks come to Yeshua Tzion who come from the church side and they're so inclined to talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus as deity, they really don't understand anything about his humanity and vice versa. So, um, there are several things we're going to be looking at and I just want to give you a heads up that I probably gave you more information on the notes that we'll be able to cover tonight. Um, we can go back to that another time. But uh, what we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, is a fairly limited amount of information about the deity of Yeshua, uh, whereas when we come to the Gospel of John and the letters of John, uh, we have a bunch more information. And you might wonder why that's the case. Uh, as best as we know, John wrote in the uh, towards the end of the first century, in the 90s, when you had um, a, a heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Okay, how many folks have heard of Gnosticism? Ah, everybody. Okay. Well, that's great. Don't have to talk about it. Well, um, and and just a couple of things about Gnosticism. One is that um, all of that came out of a Greek mindset that said uh, matter, the physical stuff is bad, evil, and the mind and the spirit is good. And by the way, you have examples of that, of that kind of thinking in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, for example, with the Corinthians. The Corinthian believers could not get their arms around the fact that God would want to have physical resurrection. Do you understand why? Well, if they came from a Greek philosophical mindset, the Platonic dualism that said, Physical is bad, uh, uh, mind and spirit is good. So for them, who were not mature spiritually, had not been matured in the Word of God, the notion that God would care about the body was not something they can get their arms around. Which is why Paul has to spend a big long chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the fact that yes, Resurrection actually means bodies being raised from the dead. And this is just one example of how that, that kind of thinking was part of the early believers. I would say it still is that way today um, because there are folks who have the mindset that says the spirit is good, the body is not good, therefore we're going to discipline it so that we become spiritually mature. It's called asceticism. Same mindset that goes back to the first century. So all that to say is this is something that 
people wrestle with today, and particularly when it comes to Yeshua's deity. So, um, several things when we come and talk about the deity of Yeshua um, in the Gospel accounts, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, we have a couple of things that we want to park on. One is the title of the Son of God and the Son of Man. So, uh, when you think of the title Son of Man, what comes to mind? His humanity. His humanity, okay. Um, what about his humanity? Anybody? God made flesh. Yeah, but but that's not directly connect, connected to uh, the title "Son of Man." And by the way, if you if you're like me, a little obsessive compulsive, you have to find out how many times the word "Son of Man" appears. Well, it's about eighty times, which means the title of "Son of Man." was something that Yeshua liked. Okay? Uh, why? Humanity? Yes, Judy. Um, because he was one of us. He had to eat. He had to sleep. He had physical needs just like us. Okay. And wasn't it to serve? He, he came to serve? He came to serve. We see that in a couple of places. One in Matthew, one in Mark. Uh, however, um, the one that really gave me a different perspective on that was an Orthodox Jew by the name of Daniel Boyarin. Uh, and he wrote a book called The Jewish Gospels. Um, and what he says is that Son of Man really speaks about the deity of Messiah. And this is an Orthodox, uh, an Orthodox scholar, a well-known scholar of Talmud. And what he said is that in the first century, there were a, a group of, a segment of the Jewish population that believed that Messiah would have to be God. He would, they understood the need for the deity of Messiah. He's not saying that Yeshua is the Messiah, but he's saying that that's what people understood, Jewish people. And he bases that on, math, on Daniel chapter 7. And let's turn to that. Daniel 7, verse 13. And Craig, if you have it, would you read it, sir? I was watching in the night visions. Behold, one like a son of man coming in the clouds, uh, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was brought into his presence. Okay. So when you think of someone coming in the clouds, 
what kind of an image does that come does that uh, uh, give you anybody huh? second coming okay but Daniel's not quite second coming from Daniel's point of view what does that convey uh, to Daniel and to people who are hearing him one at a time please physical you could see something physical. You could see something physical, Hermana. I say, Daniel was understood, was it? Deity or an angel? Either one. Coming at a cloud. Could that be an angel? Uh-huh. No, it can be. <laughs> okay. So, uh, here Daniel is speaking about someone who is connected to the Ancient of Days, uh-huh. obviously referring to God. God who is coming on the clouds. Yes, sir? He's coming from heaven. He's coming from heaven. Okay. I thought of the, um, when the cloud came down at Sinai, that, that that was the image of God's presence coming down. So that when we see a cloud or somebody coming in a cloud, that it refers to like God's presence coming into, into something. Whether... Like we were discussing last week, the pillar of fire and the cloud by day. So obviously, um, as we saw last last Wednesday, uh, the references to the cloud coming uh, suggested that God was showing up. Um, but in this case, in Daniel, what it's talking about is is uh, not just the the cloud but someone in the cloud, someone who is connected with the Ancient of Days. Uh, again, our challenge is not to jump in, into it and say, ah, oh, this is the second coming, which it obviously is referring to Yeshua, but um, what we see is that Yeshua uses that to say to people, this is who I am. And remember that nowhere in the New Covenant does Yeshua or anybody else say Yeshua is God? Just in those words, but they convey it Jewishly. In other words, they use terms that a Jewish audience would understand what they're talking about. Uh, and the reason why I believe that you don't have a specific statement Yeshua is God uh, is because in the first century, Jewish people were very allergic to anything that looked like it was idolatry. Because remember, the reason for the exile to Babylon was because of worship of idols. And so Israel learned the lessons real well so that from that point on wanted nothing to do with idol worship to the point that that even saying the name of God is, is something you, you don't want to say, and you say Hashem instead of, instead of God, and so on and so forth. So, uh, the deity of Yeshua is spelled out, but it's spelled out in terms that a first century Jew would be comfortable with. Um, and remember that Yeshua uses that picture uh, when he speaks, when he is in front of the Sanhedrin, um, in uh, uh, let's see, let me find it real quick. Um, 
In Matthew 26, 63 to 65, and let's turn to that for a moment. So, Rachel, would you read it, please? Did you say 26 to 65? Yeah. 63 to 65 of chapter 26. Oh. Yeah. Goodbye with help from my friends. But Yeshua remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Yeshua replied. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. Okay. So it was very clear to the Sanhedrin that when Yeshua said you will see the Son of Man coming in glory, that he was clearly saying, I am God. And as far as they were concerned, this guy was worthy of death. Um, and so Yeshua does things, and, and we're not going to go into all the scriptures, but Yeshua does other things that make it very clear to people just who he is. Uh, he calms the storm. And people's response is? His response was, who is this guy? Uh, he's got to be a lot more than a man. Um, Yeshua healed a man. He healed tons of people. But he healed one man in particular, uh, the, the guy who was lowered. And um, he said, your sins are forgiven. And uh, the Pharisees heard that. They had a fit because they said, this is blasphemy. Who are you to forgive sins? The only one who can forgive sins is God. Um, Yeshua declared himself to be the Lord of the Shabbat. Now think about the implication there. Um, what kind of statement does that make when he says, I, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Shabbat. I mean, you know, would you stand and say, I am the, the Lord of the Shabbat? No. Why not? Because we're not. Okay, because we're not. But uh, that's helpful. Um, why would you not say that other, other, other than you're not Meshuggi? Or... Um, who is the only one who has the right to say, I'm the Lord of the Shabbat? God. Why? Because he's the one who instituted the Shabbat. And so to say, I am the Lord of the Shabbat, whoever says that is either way out of his mind, or else he is God. Talking about deity. Yes, ma'am. Um, I think I find this confusing because if they thought he was God, did they think he was a second God? Or did, did they think he's trying to replace the God that they were serving? If, the, if they viewed him as God, 
didn't view him as God. They, they did not he, view him as God. As he, you said they did. You said they... they, they no, no, no. It's not what I said. What I mean is, they thought he was saying he was God. Correct. And you're saying he was saying he was God? Or he was not saying he was God? What was he saying? You care to put that in, in okay. Hebrew. If Yeshua was implying that he was God, right. then what he was telling them is, I'm a second God, no. or I'm replacing the God that you all know. Neither one of those. The message that they got is, I'm making myself equal with God. But that's different to saying, I'm saying I'm God. See what I'm saying? All right. No. Uh, what, what we need... <laughs> Hang on, folks. Before we tease this out uh, to the nth degree, we need to, to simply see what Scripture is saying, okay, and stick with it. Uh, because the temptation for us is to look at that and try to, to peel it into all kinds of directions um, that it may or may not go there. Yeshua, as we will see in, in passages in John, uh, people get bent out of shape because he is claiming to be equal with God. Okay? That's fine if he's saying he's equal with. Equal with. All right. So part of what what we see in in the Gospel of John and in the letters of John is a lot of emphasis on the deity of Yeshua. Again, remember that a major part of this is because in the first century you have all this craziness going on um, uh, and people uh, uh, people coming to heretical ideas about who Yeshua is. And uh, if you know anything about church history, you'll know that this is something that's gone on. People spend hours and, and generations trying to come up with something that fits and, and part of reality for us is to back off in humility and say, you know, the only one who really understands all this is God. We understand this much. The, uh, the rest of reality is way beyond us. It's a mystery. All right. Uh, f yes, yes, Judy. Um, you know, in the scripture in Matthew, um, where it says, when you see the Son of Man coming, right? is Jesus... Still the Son of Man, or has I know he appeared after the resurrection, right. but does he still consider himself? Because it looks like he's speaking in the future that they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Okay, does he still consider himself Son of Man? Uh, Paul says that there's one man. Uh, there's a, one mediator between God and man, the man Yeshua. Which means that when Yeshua was ascended into heaven, his humanity did not go away. So exactly how that works, I'm not going to stand here and try to explain it to you. Because again, that's part of the mystery. Um, Alright, so let's turn to First John. First John chapter one and verses one to three. 
And Ellen, would you read that, please? The word which gives life, he existed from the beginning. We have heard him, we have seen him with our eyes, we have contemplated him, we have touched him with our hands. The life appeared, and we have seen it. We are testifying to it and announcing it to you, eternal life. He was with the Father, and he appeared to us. What we have seen and heard, we are proclaiming to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father, and with the Son, Yeshua the Messiah. So, what do you see John emphasizing in these verses? Where is he parking? On Yeshua's deity? No. Uh, is he? Humanity. And Yeshua's humanity. Because you say you have a test and I have a seer. So, um, why? It's not just Yeshua's humanity. It's the fact that, that he was... Uh, they were able to encounter him... Uh, using their senses, their ears, their eyes, their hands. Uh, why was that so important? Because that, that's the reality they lived through, their first-hand uh, testifiers. And, and, right. And part of the weirdness of Gnosticism was a branch called Docetism, which comes from a Greek word to seem that basically says that uh, Yeshua was not really a man he just seemed to be a man and that and that the uh, that God the, the Messiah the Christ was upon him but that um, he was not he was not a man it was sort of like a um, hologram and people believed that that was one of one of the heresies. Uh, yes, sir. When uh, it mentions Emmanuel, God with us, as referring to Yeshua, it's referring to his deity and his humanity. Right. And, and folks, reality is we're dealing with something that can blow our circuits if we were to try and figure it out. And unfortunately, uh, people are not willing to take the data, the information in Scripture at face value, but they say, I want to understand exactly what it looks like. Well, you can. Um, all right, so John devotes that time, and then the, there are several places in, in the Gospel of John where we see Yeshua making very clear um, that uh, that he is who he is, um, and he's making some statements. And sometimes people got it, sometimes they didn't. So first of all, John chapter six, verse fifty-nine to sixty-nine. Let's turn to that, um, and uh, let's uh, pick on the. Uh, Willie haired fellow back there. Uh, Tristan, sir. Tristan, would you please, when you find it, read it for us. Preferably today, sir. <laughs> 
Yeshua standing in, in the synagogue in Capernaum, uh, which I don't believe was a whole lot larger than this. And he is making some statements that are frankly outrageous. Um, he says, for example, uh, I'm the bread of life. Now think about that. Who, who would say, I am the bread of life? The bread of life that came down from heaven. What's the implication? Yeah. Who comes down from heaven? The rest of us come from Mama's womb. That doesn't mean he's saying he's God. Very strong implication. And this is part of, part of what we see here is that Yeshua makes suggestive statements that you have to say, okay, what does he mean by that? Alright? Um, then in verse 44 of the same chapter, I will raise him up on the last day. Now who has the, the ability to raise anybody from the dead? God. God. Okay? Um, and again, in, in uh Verse 62, you'll see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. Okay, we're not talking about angels here. Um, again, strongly suggest suggestive. Uh, at this point, um, people really don't know what to do with him. What Yeshua's teaching sticks in their craw, and a bunch of them leave, uh, other than, than the twelve, particularly Peter. All right, um, chapter 8, and um, let's read from verse, uh, kind of skip around if you would, um, verse 24, and then uh, 58 to 59. 
Okay, Michael, would you read verse 24? <clears throat> I said therefore unto you that all of you shall die in your sin. For if all of you believe, do not believe that I am he, all of you shall die in your sins. Okay, now, the literal uh, words here don't have he. Uh, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. Okay? Uh, we obviously don't know... Um, I mean, Yeshua is speaking probably Aramaic. Um, the Greek that, that John quotes is ego eimi, uh, which can either mean one or two things. can either mean you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, the Messiah. Or the other possibility is to, to read that and say that what Yeshua is saying, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am. And what does that take you to? Exodus 3. Exodus chapter 3. Let's keep a finger here. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 3. In verse 14, and Roger, would you read that? I can read you verse 6, and I have to find 14. But it says, Moreover, he said, I am the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now if I get to this. You wanted 14? 14. Yeah. God answered Moses, I am who I am. Then he said, you are to say to Benny Israel, I, I can't say it. I am, has sent to sent me to you. Let me keep going. That's fine. Now, again, remember remember the, the episode. Uh, Moses is engaging in this arm wrestling with God that he's going to lose. Um, where he, one of the questions is, Lord, uh, uh, what do I tell people? Uh, what is your name? The name that you want me to use in talking to people. And what the Lord says to him is, um, which literally means I will be that I will be or I am who I am or I have always been what I have always been uh, which obviously refers to um, God's eternal presence and why do you think God is telling Moses to convey that to the people why do they need to hear Ehyeh Asher Ehyeh? Because he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob what he would do back way before these guys, and now he's saying, I'm still that God, and I'm going to deliver you out of here and do what I promised to Abraham. Correct. And if, if you, despite the fact that you've been slaved for 400 years, and that's all you know, that's all your parents and grandparents know, uh, I'm the same God who has been around from Abraham's time. Now, don't need to turn back to 
to John chapter 8. Well, yes, you do. Turn back to John chapter 8. Yeshua said unto them, Amen and Amen. I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Yeshua hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so and so passed by. So the context here is that this is uh, part of a larger block that uh, that that describes Yeshua being in the temple uh, during the feast of. Uh, Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. And um, he spends a bunch of time talking, and this is uh, in chapter 8, it's the day after uh, Sukkot. And they're having this conversation, basically saying, who are you to tell us these things? You're not greater than our father, Abraham. You know, Abraham, first century Judaism, and also in Judaism today, two big guys, Abraham and Moses. Okay? Yeshua says, Oh, by the way, um, I was having fun looking at, at Abraham. I mean, to, to give you Urbach paraphrase here. And people looking at him and saying, You're nuts. Demon possessed. And he says, Before Abraham was, I am. Same expression in Greek and probably... Uh, Maybe not but some form of it. And they pick up stones to throw at him. Why? Because Blasphemy. Blasphemy you dealt with one way. You pick up stones to kill somebody. Yes, ma'am. If they really didn't believe he had any validity to what he's saying, why didn't they just laugh him off? Uh, it's a Jewish context. You don't laugh anybody. You argue with them. Even if you think he's mad. Even if you think he's mad. And so, as we saw in chapter 5 and chapter 6, a bunch of people said, he's nuts. They walked off. However, remember that who is involved here is not just the rank and file, but also the leadership, who basically feel like it's their God-appointed job to see to it that some, some weirdo from Galilee doesn't come and, and deceive the people. So uh, there's there's verbal arm wrestling going on here. Uh, and the temple was their authority. I the, mean, the the temple was not the Pharisees going into someone else's house and trying to tell them how it was. Yeah, the Sadducees. Uh, you had you had two basic po uh, centers of power. You had the synagogue where the Pharisees uh, were in control. You had the temple where the Sadducees were in control. Yeshua, as Michael was saying, Yeshua is coming and stepping on their turf. Um, so that's why you don't just laugh him off. Besides, he was doing all kinds of stuff. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, there is uh, turf issues, there's power issues. And we'll see that, obviously, it comes to a head uh, later on. In We see that in Matthew 21, where they say to him, by what authority, what business do you have doing this? 
Um, so it, it was a battle for spiritual authority. Why? What, what was so important about spiritual authority? They were leaders of the peoples. They didn't want nobody else in coming to take it. They were the leadership. Yeah, either. And so that's why in conversations with these guys, Yeshua gives no quarter. I mean, he is not kinder, gentler when it comes to the Pharisees. He cannot give any quarter because he has to speak with authority. If he doesn't have authority, no one is going to listen and and the words from the Father will not be heard. All right, one more. We have time for one more, and that's uh, in John chapter 10. And let's look at verse 23 just gives us the context. You know, since we celebrated Hanukkah, uh, good to remind ourselves that, that our Messiah was celebrating Hanukkah in the temple. Um, let's look at verse uh, 31 to 33. And uh, let's see. Uh, Steve, would you read that for us, please? Again, the Ju Judean leaders picked up stones to stone him. Yeshua answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Judean leaders answered, We aren't stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy. Though you are a man, you make yourself God. Okay, and if you back up, um, back up to verse 23, mm -hmm. please. Yeshua was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. Then the Judean leaders surrounded him, saying, how long will you hold us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us outright. Yeshua answered them, I told you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify concerning me, but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Okay. Thank you. Um, so... Why is there a bunch more pressure on Yeshua to declare who he is at this point? Hanukkah was a nationalistic celebration. We're celebrating the great victory the Maccabees had. And that's a great uh, time in Israel's history. And so they're wondering if he's going to be the same type of leader a military leader that will lead the people into nationalistic fervor. And Josephus said that there were more um, troops brought in during both Hanukkah and Passover because there were more tendencies of revolts breaking out during that time because there was so much nationalistic and patriotic fervor going on. Well put, Michael. Um, there was a the fortress Antonia was just on the north uh, west side of the temple and the population of Jerusalem uh, mushroomed from about 30,000 to a couple hundred thousand by some estimates 
and it didn't take much for people to get riled up. So in this particular case, um, people, are, the leaders are, are wondering, are you going to declare your candidacy as the Messiah? Uh, if you were at Hanukkah, you may have heard me say that perhaps one of the issues was also that the belief that Messiah would come, he would tell them what to do with the old stones that were defiled by by the by the Greeks, um, and so, but both of those pretty clear. They want answers. Yeshua says to them, "I operate on a different currency." And remember that uh, shepherd here is not just someone who's out there uh, with the woolly sheep. Remember that biblically, shepherd refers to. Ezekiel 34, God says, I judge the bad shepherds who lead, uh, who take advantage of the sheep, and I'm going to raise up the right shepherd. So Yeshua refers, obviously, uh, with purpose. Um, but he says to them, uh, verse second here. Um, I and the Father are one. Uh, in, in verse 28, I give them eternal life. Now, who on earth can give eternal life to anybody? Now, he obviously doesn't say, I am God, but how else can you interpret what he's saying? And if they don't get it, he says, I and the Father are one. And you can take those words and twist them every which way. Uh, is he talking about the Father and I are the same substance and so on and so forth? Look, um, simple reality, he is making himself to be, uh, there's unity between him and the Father. And that clearly he has some kind of authority to be able to do those things. He has, he definitely has authority. Yes, ma'am. Um, could one, well, yes, there is the, the political and the climate. Up. Could one reason that Yeshua is more bold in, in the speech right now is because this is the Hanukkah before the Pesach when he becomes the atonement? So he's becoming more. His, his speech is becoming more Im explicitly implied that I am him, believe me. You, you find those kinds of statements uh, certainly throughout John. And I, I, as I understand it, I believe that the reason for it is not that Yeshua didn't say those things in other situations, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke emphasize different things about Yeshua and John, in his situation, has to talk about Yeshua's deity because of all the craziness that was going on. So, um, I don't see that there's a change. Uh, no, because uh, uh, there were other occasions where people picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy. Um, Luke chapter 4, for example. Yeah. Uh, Early on in Capernaum, when... He revealed himself at the synagogue when we taught at Simcoe's World. Oh, and he didn't finish the passage. 
Uh, when he did what? He, there was the passage, and he didn't read the back half of it. And Nasseret. Yeah. So, so again, uh, Yeshua is fairly clear to a first-century audience who he is. And the fact that on several occasions they pick up stones to kill him for blasphemy knows uh, tells us that the audience knew clearly what he was talking about. Um, and again, this for us, if you come from a church background, is okay, I, I get it. If you come from a Jewish background, then then these are fighting words, folks. This is like the line in the sand. As I mentioned last, last Wednesday, um, Jewish people are willing to consider Yeshua as the Messiah, but the deity of Yeshua is off the charts. Why? Because uh, you're dancing around the subject of idol worship. And so what we saw last Wednesday was the evidence in the Tanakh that particularly in Isaiah chapter uh, 40, uh, 43 that Messiah has to be God that the Redeemer has to be God that the only one who can really save people is God um, so we we don't apologize for what scripture says nor do we feel the need um to explain it to everybody's desire and there's no shame in saying we understand this much, we don't understand that much. Uh, because reality is both uh, in the church and in the synagogue, people understand the notion of mystery. The word mystery appears, for example, in Paul's writing a whole bunch of times, that God pulls back the curtains and gives us a clue of what's going on, and we understand what he says because he reveals it, but there's no way that we, with our mind, can understand who God is. That is, by the way, where you have things like Kabbalah and mysticism, where people try to use their mind to understand the mysteries of God. It goes nowhere. And so for us... Um, there's, I like to think that there's security in us saying, you know, the God that I worship is beyond me. And, and no, I do not understand everything that he does. I never will until I see him. And remember the, the scripture we keep coming back to again and again and again. We'll finish with that. Um, Deuteronomy 29.29. Let's turn to that, please. And let's see, Mr. Case, if you are there, sir, would you read it, please? The book of Deuteronomy. 29, well, okay, uh... The Hebrew might be a little different. Oh, okay, Ben, I'll, I'll do 28. Uh, the secret things belong to Adonai, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever in order to do all the words of this Torah. Okay, two things. First of all, the only way we can know God is when he pulls back the curtains 
and reveals himself. And secondly, what, what that particular scripture and the rest of scripture says is that God reveals enough of himself not so that we are filled with fill ourselves with knowledge, so-called knowledge, but so that we understand what it is that he has for us to do. The secret things are revealed so that we can follow and obey. And so, for us, when we look at the, the subject of the deity of Yeshua, we say, Scripture is very clear. The Messiah had to be God. Do I understand it fully? I do not. Um, Messiah is the... Uh, only God could save us. We're such a mess. Some of us, not you. <laughs> We're such a mess that only God could save us. And because He is infinitely greater than we are, then we say, thank you, Lord. Amen. Yes, sir. I'm just thinking, I'm trying to explain a miracle. I'm trying to understand a miracle. There's no way. There isn't. And, and part, and, and I'll just finish with this thought. Part of the trap that we fall into especially when we interact with folks who are not believers, is we have the silly notion that we have to be able to explain everything to everybody. And that if, God forbid, we would say, you know, I really don't know, that it's, it's as if our whole skyscraper of faith would come tumbling down and our relationship with God would be in the pit. I have news for you. Um, we can and should be intellectually honest with people who are, who are skeptics. In fact, I would say more often than not, that is what wins people over. And, and also I would say that as much as anything, the notion of believers feeling like they have to prove everything to everybody has been horrendous because it has conveyed the sense that Followers of Yeshua know everything or think they know everything and that uh, we're coming to, to the lost and ignorant who know nothing. And instead we say, you know, God has revealed himself to us and we're grateful, but no, we don't know everything. All right, folks, um, we'll put a comma here. And Michael, would you finish for us, please? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time to worship you. We pray, Lord, continually that your spirit would give us increase in everything. It tells us that one plants, another waters, and another yet reaps. But God gives the increase. And so we pray for increase on more of this. We ask that you would open our understanding as we leave here tonight. We also pray for special protection on all of us as we go our separate ways, Lord. You've promised in your word that you will protect our coming and our going from this time forth and forevermore. And so we ask that tonight, Lord, especially as uh, we go our separate ways. Be with us. Bring us back here on Shabbat. In Yeshua's mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen.